New on Curiosity Stream, how do you connect a 16th century potato to limitless energy production? Could Napoleon's toothpick have a direct link to a machine that predicts the future? And how can a 1700s conch shell chart a course to humans connecting their brains to the internet? James Burke's visionary series, Connections, returns for a new generation. Experience all new Connections. With monthly, annual, and bundled plans, find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com. New on CuriosityStream. I'm James Burke. I'm going to take you on a journey through time. James Burke's visionary series returns, reimagined for our time. Now, this is all uncharted territory. The Washington Post hails Burke as one of the most intriguing minds in the Western world. The New York Times raves he careens from one great moment in history to another. Where do we want to go from here? Experience all new connections. So what's the next connection? With monthly, annual, and bundled plans, find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com. Welcome to High Stakes, Episode 9. I'm your host, Neil Orfield, and my guest today is someone you've probably seen on the leaderboards on DraftKings and FanDuel under the username Stunna, but you probably have not seen his face because he hasn't really done any of these kinds of interviews before, so I'm really excited to get to know him a little bit today. Uh, he's most recently, he, he's been a big winner in DFS for several years now, but most recently, he won the FanDuel NBA Championship uh, just, I think, last month, maybe two months ago, whenever that was. Uh, so that was a pretty big win. Matt, uh, how, how have you been doing since the big win on FanDuel a month or so ago? Yeah, that's um, that's kind of an interesting story there because um, the day – so, you know, anyone who's uh, been following along with it a bit knows that I lost my voice during the event, um, <laughs> and that was – you know, in part to the atmosphere and stuff. But then it turns out, like, the day after I got back, I was like, oh, apparently I have a fairly notable cold. So my voice stayed lost for over a week. Then I still have, like, a cough from time to time. Um, so I haven't really been getting out and, and doing that much. So it's all very uh, kind of delayed celebration there. I know yeah. people want to hear tales of, like, you know, oh, I win all this money, and then I go out to um, exchange a lot of it for goods and services and stuff. But... If I literally can't say no to people, that's like a really dangerous thing to do. Oh, no. um, so I, I figured I'd play it safe. So. All right. I mean, that was that was a, a pretty fun win for sure. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that win. I'd like to get into the, the process there, the lineup uh, a little bit later. It's kind of a fun thing to talk about. But let's, let's start by talking about your background just a little bit because people don't really know you that well. Uh, at least most of us don't know you all that well. So uh, tell me about yourself a little bit. Are you, are you a full-time DFS pro or do you have another job as well? Yeah, so I am a full-time professional. Um, my backstory is that I have a PhD in chemical engineering. Um, and then the story of how I got into daily fantasy was um, I was working on this job, uh, product development for medical devices, and I uh, achieved this feat, which I consider impressive, which was I got a raise and got laid off from the same company in the same calendar year, oh, wow. um, which I think is it's kind of neat. Um, yeah, which was fine. I didn't like the job very much. I got severance and the last people out did not get severance because the company didn't exist at that point. Um, so I was, you know, screwing around for a while, kind of like for another job, just sort of 
relaxing, you know, playing board games and video games and all that stuff. Um, then the job search wasn't going real well. Um, and then I had this friend, I've known him for quite a while. Um, very smart guy, but he like has this kind of like, uh, he relies on these sort of wackier ways of wait, making money compared to, you know, what I did, which is like engineering. Um, but yeah, you know, he, he'd been a, you know, a poker player and, you know, I, I did that a bit too in college, um, cashed in while I could. Um, but then party poker left the States and I'm going off to grad school. Um, and then my friend is still playing poker. And then, you know, like poker stars left the U.S. And to me, that'd probably be like, okay, well, time to give up and get like a regular job with whatever college degree. And instead, he's like, no, I'm going to keep doing this. And I'm going to commute to Canada three days a week um, to play, you know, online poker, which like, don't get me wrong. I have some fond memories of Windsor in, in Canada, and none of them have anything to do with online poker. So, you know, but he's just the kind of guy who would do these kinds of things. And uh independent sort. Um, and, you know, a smart guy, so you try to give him the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, he, he had been sort of bugging me about DFS for a while. Um, and when I had like a regular job, I'm like, I, I don't want to screw around with this. This is a pain. I'm already making money. Um, but I was unemployed. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I picked up poker as a hobby. It went pretty well. Might as well try to get into this. Um, so I believe the first day of 2016 uh, is when I started. And I promptly lost quite a bit of money um, in, in terms of, you know, what it seemed like at the time. Like that might have been like a hundred bucks or something. Like, yeah. When you know, you're just starting, not, that seems like it, a lot of money. When you yeah, have it's a big, no, now that's, that that's a rounding error. Like you wouldn't notice if you made or lost a hundred dollars in a day. Like that'd just be like nothing happened. So, right. um, but I stuck with it and then um, things improved more and more. Then in March, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to go for this full time. I'll take my shot and uh, see how it goes. And there have been no shortages of ups and downs ever since then. But um, yeah, I mean, overall, the, the net effect looks pretty good, particularly given uh, recent events. So uh, you mentioned that you have this friend. I feel like you're kind of leaving me in suspense. You're not telling me anything else about this friend. If I know this friend, is it, is it anybody that I would recognize the name? Yeah, you'd recognize the name. Um, I, I, I can sort of fill in more of the blanks there. Um, we worked fairly closely together uh, for like a, maybe a year, year and a half. And um, were, were you living so, in the same place at the time? No, um, okay. I was in Pennsylvania um, and, and he was uh, pretty far off. So we weren't really um, in the same place most of the time. Okay. Um, but yeah, he sort of wanted to branch out um, and do more than just compete on the sites. Whereas I'm like, I'm making plenty of money being on the sites. Why would I want to screw around with, you know, being a talking head on some channel and stuff? Um, so ultimately we branched out and became, you know, fully independent and stuff. Um, but yeah, he's still competing um, and doing very well for himself. And uh, he, he is also, you know, like a tout now Like you can, he does like a show a week maybe. Oh man, um, hate those guys. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so he's, he's a, he's a figure that I would, I would recognize you say, but you're yeah. not going to tell me, you're yeah. not going to tell me who this friend is. Are we, gonna, are we saving um, this? Are you? Is there a punchline coming? I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you to for the big reveal here. Okay. Uh, okay. I guess he didn't actually tell you himself then, which isn't that surprising to me. Um, but yeah, that that's Alex. 
No, I I knew that. I was I was waiting to tell the tell the audience who who the big who your who your good friend is. Uh, so so you're a good friend of Alex okay. Baker, and you guys kind of uh, worked a little bit together early on, and then you went your divergent ways. You went, uh, you know, he he started obviously the awesome site, uh, which is hosting these shows, uh, and you you just went off and did your own thing playing. Is that about how the story went around 2016? Uh, in 2017. 2017. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, he didn't. I don't know when he actually started the site. But yeah, it was definitely more of a, you know, where I was just doing, you know, all my own projections and stuff. Um, there's a third person in the story too, uh, Fall from Grace, and we were all sort of working together. And then all branched out into different specialties. Um, he's still around. He's, he mainly focuses on esports now. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah. That's great. That's a fun story. So how 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 do you know Alex? I mean, he actually dropped that on a show after one of your big wins. I mean, you've had several big wins. Uh, I think maybe a few months ago, uh, you won like $100,000 in some other sport on FanDuel and you were in the Hall of Fame segment uh, on, on one of the Awesomeo YouTube shows. And so I think Lofi was on and he was saying, oh yeah, that's stunning. I've seen this name before. I don't know who this guy is, but he seems to always win. And Alex was like, oh yeah, he's a good friend of mine. <laughs> and it kind of caught everybody off guard. We had, we had no idea that you were a friend of Alex's. Uh, how far back does that friendship go? And is it just happenstance that you're both top DFS players? I mean, I guess you worked together a little bit, but uh, tell, tell me where that friendship started. Yeah, um, so it dates back to sixth grade. Uh, we went to the same middle school and high school, and a big part of it was we were both in this activity called Academic Games, um, which is not, it's not like a trivia thing, really. It's more of like a competition in uh, uh, various board games and stuff. Uh, educational, but uh, yeah, that, that was something we did for a while, and then I actually taught that um, in college uh, when I went to the University of Michigan because um, I was in the same hometown there. Um, and then, um, so yeah, that, that's how far back we go. And then obviously, you know, we've been close friends ever since. Um, I was a groomsman at his wedding, um, which, you know, is quite, quite wow. a spectacular affair. Um, that was fun. Uh, there's some things I hadn't seen before, like at the wedding, they had this wine ceremony. And when people tell me wine ceremony, I assume I'm like, oh, that's something people do um, after like a Sunday of football. Um, but it does involve like literal wine um, where you take a bottle of wine that will age and then you put it in a box along with notes from the bride and the groom and then their, their parents. Um, and then it's sort of like the, their own little time capsule um, with wine as an added benefit. Um, so I thought that was wow. pretty That's neat. really cool. Yeah. 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 I've heard a little bit about like the, the people who were at Alex's wedding. And I have to guess that the average IQ there is like 170, 180. I don't know. Just seems like everybody I know who is at Alex's wedding are like some of the smartest people in DFS. So that's uh must have been a good time. Uh, I'd like to get back to talking about your background a little bit. But first, I just before we get there, while while we're on the topic of Alex and you've known him a long time, I just had to ask a question. Uh, he once said on the Lowell's podcast, he was a guest on the Lowell's podcast, and he referenced that he has a friend who goes by $2 Jimmy. And I just want to fact check this, ask somebody who might know, have you ever met a guy named $2 Jimmy? Is this a real person? I have never met this individual as far as I know. So Alex was just probably just lying to us, right? He, he was making stuff up. I wouldn't put it past him. I, I, I don't know all the backstory. Um, <laughs> I, there wasn't a groomsman named $2 Jimmy. I could tell you that. All right. Um, but... Yeah, that's good I enough for me. I'm, I'm calling Alex out. Alex just lied to us. There is no real $2 Jimmy. Until I see proof that there is a $2 Jimmy, I'm just going to assume that he's a made-up person that Alex uh, just made up for laughs. Um, all right, let's let's get back to your, your background a little bit. So you, you say you were, uh, you're an engineer? Um, yeah, chemical engineer. 
chemical engineer. Okay. Do you have any kind of background in statistics, formal or informal training? Um, I don't have it. I don't think I've ever actually taken a statistics course. Um, there is some of that baked into engineering. Sure. Um, but I would generally say my skill set as applied to daily fantasy is good, but it's not great. I feel like the programmers have the biggest edge going in, whereas I'm generally sort of like technical smart person. Okay. You, so, so do you not, do you also, I was going to ask next, do you have any uh, formal or informal training in programming and computer programming? I took a semester of C++, um, which I think dates me a little bit. Um, and that's about it. Um, I did pick up Python over time. Um, and then obviously spreadsheets, I worked with those a lot, um, especially in grad school. Um, but no, I don't have like a massive program. I, I'm self-taught and I sort of, uh, um, for all these things that I do. So it is kind of, it can be slow going at times. There are definitely times where I took two weeks to do something. I'm like, I'm pretty sure a skilled programmer could do this in two hours. Yep. But the point is I did it and I, well, sometimes I trust my work. <laughs> okay. And so, so you got started in DFS uh, without any real, any major programming or statistics background in about 2016. Sounds like Alex kind of drew you in, kind of told you about it a little bit to get started. Were, were you a sports fan before you started playing DFS? Like, was it something that you already had interest in sports at all? Um, generally, no. Like for professional sports, basically, no. Um, I am a big Michigan football fan, but that, that's really about it. Um, but in some senses, that made it easier. Right. You know, if I were like a big Lions fan, well, one, that would already intrinsically be depressing. And then two, you know, it's bad to be like, oh, yeah, I expect this team to, to run up the score on them with their running back. Um, so I think it's nice to have some distance there. Although I think that actual sports knowledge, it's often misapplied, but I do feel like there is some value to it. Yep. It's just that people overinterpret it. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like that's a lot of people think that that is the most important aspect of DFS, whereas I think better players use it as kind of like a little bit of fringe knowledge that helps you in making some decisions. But in general, it's more of a math game than it is a sports game. So uh, I think kind of on, on the same page with you there. Um, so you mentioned that on the first day that you played, you lost about 100 bucks. Uh, how long did it take you before you were finding success, before you were a winning player at DFS? And, and how quickly did you start like, ramping up your volume and playing, you know, thousands of dollars a day? Um, thousands a day. Ooh, I'm not entirely sure. I guess in March of that year, I might have broken a thousand per day. Um, it definitely took at least two weeks um, to start making a profit. Um, <laughs> it's not that long. That wasn't like, it, it wasn't long, but it wasn't like, it's more like numbers fluctuate and then they, they're sort of going up, but that's sort of like a hindsight trend. Sure. Like you can have your money go up and then you put in more and then you lose it. And then so, but yeah, it, it was a hit of gr the ground running sort of thing, but obviously it did help to know Alex in that respect. Sure. All right. Well, let's talk about a little bit about your process then. Uh, Cause I, I, again, I, I know nothing about you. A lot of the guests I've had on here, I've, I've seen them do other interviews. So I kind of have an idea of what their process looks like. Uh, you, you're kind of a, a blank canvas here for me. I, I have no idea what you're going to tell me. Uh, so let, let's get into it a little bit. Uh, do you do any simulations or use simulations from outside sources in your process? Um, well, there are the tools on, this is going to vary massively by sport. Um, sure. If okay. I just show up and like make a hockey lineup, I'm probably looking more just at the Osmo tools, which are 
I assume based on SIMS, unless he's doing some really complicated correlation that I don't really understand. Um, for the sports that I, I focus on, um, I've used simulations to some degree. Um, I use them more when the sport is more random. Um, okay. So, but there's also, do I use simulation just sort of be, see like, oh, what might be the optimal percent for this guy versus um, doing a simulation and then using that to spit out 150 and uploading those. Yeah, so so um, I guess that, my question is that part of it, using simulations to create lineups. You're, you're referencing like the boom bust tool is is based on simulation. So you use that, but do you also, you also have some sports, you say that you do simulations to spit out lineups for the more random sports? Yeah, and it, it's not necessarily to use them straight up. Like there's okay. always some kind of filtering process, which can be a lot. But sometimes it's like intuitively, I don't, it's kind of hard to just sort of pick like a, no, a lineup that isn't too correlated, that is kind of different. And like, it's easier to just run some kind of sim, which, you know, can be as simple as just optimizer with a randomness factor, which is right. pretty close to a lot of what I do. And then I have my, my own sorting process to sort of eyeball lineups and say, this has 2i ownership. This lineup is just really stupid. I don't want to run it. This lineup uses someone who isn't playing, um, which some of you may remember that that in fact can still win. Uh, there was a FanDuel showdown, a uh, three-way tie, and uh, Mock Lovin had uh, uh, something Bushman, Matt Bushman, I believe. Hmm. Um, and that is the first and last time I've ever heard of that person. But it was a day where he had like four very expensive players, and then the last spot was literally a zero. So the people who put in like an actual valid player that played snaps, um, their players also got zero, so then it was a three-way tie. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely remember that lineup. I, I feel like he's trying to troll us sometimes. Was that was that on? I assume that was on Fanduel. I, I don't remember that. Do you remember how long ago it was? About? Uh, it was a couple months back. It might have been in January. Oh, it was recently. Um, okay. Yeah, it's Funny. Fanduel Showdown. Um, so first off, people don't really like to look at Fanduel in general, um, and people also don't like Fanduel Showdown in general. Which, like, I understand that it's not as exciting. The, the top prize isn't as big. Um, which, you know, obviously is, is very important to someone here. Um, but uh, I, I like that you can very easily decide your level of difficulty. Because in FanDuel, if you go outside the top three MVPs or whatever they're called, um, you start to be contrarian very quickly and you're going to deal with a lot fewer splits. But if you yeah. want to go for $1,000 instead of like $50,000, you can work with a pretty chalky lineup and then just be different and like, two spots. Um, and then the other thing is that people like to see a big prize up top, but that also kind of tends to sort of bankrupt people a lot faster. So sure. the idea that people can win more often and win less money when they do so, so their expected value is the same, I think is actually a positive thing. Um, so is that is that part of your process? Gonna, You're, you, you try less than a lot of other pros to be contrarian in showdown contests. You're, you're less focused on that and more focused on just getting the win? Um, yeah, I mean, I, to some degree, like, I'm still trying to spread out my lineups. Like, obviously, I could do, like, like five 30 lineup trains if I just wanted to maximize my odds of uh, winning a slice at first. But I, I tend to believe that'd be kind of dumb um, and not beneficial. Um, but, I mean, I do make quite a bit of effort to be sort of contrarian in showdown. Um, but I'm still willing to also put in some of the chalk lineups 
um, and just sort of have like a balanced approach there. Ah, uh, yes, I said the keyword balanced. Um, <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah. yeah so can, showdown, it's it's somewhat. That's a little bit misleading because I'll sort of like lower my exposure, like certain captains that I think are garbage, mm -hmm. um, and things like that. But I'm still overall trying to get a pretty broad spread in showdown. Um, whereas in other sports, I'm much more likely to be like, I have these projections and I'm aware of what ownership range for my lineup is good. And I'd rather just try to take my advantage and sort of uh, beat people over the head with it if possible. Okay. So w would you describe yourself as being generally a balanced player uh, rather than an exploitative player? Um, I would generally say that I'm an exploitative player um, with a caveat that I would say the balance strategy is also itself exploitative because if everyone ran it, no one, everyone would lose to the rake. Right. So you're still trying to exploit people's mistakes. It's just kind of like a passive way. Yeah. Um, but in general, in most sports, I try to be exploitative, um, more so in basketball and football. And then in baseball, I, I do have to try to balance things out. Um, because I, I, I do worry, you know, with all, I mean, obviously, awesome.com is great. You have all these nice tools up there. Um, but I do worry that there are too many people thinking the same way. And then when you're being different like everyone else, like you can really, really screw yourself. Um, yeah. So I, I try to force a bit of balance there. Um, but in terms of things like, do I force a player to not be 100%? Um, I have a lot of methods built in where I try to reduce the exposure of a player. But if my model says, okay, just play Drummond 100%, then I'm going to play Drummond 100%. Yeah. And I have no qualms about that. I don't feel like I'm going to put him at 98.3% just so I can have his backup on there to, you know, say that, um, that kind of thing. So. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, next, do, do you use an optimizer? Oh, it sounds like you do use an optimizer at least for some of your lineups. Yeah, I have my own um, optimizer I built myself. Um, it does sound like the commercial one has basically more features than I have, but mine, it might be faster or it might be just that people put in too many settings on the commercial stuff so that it's like really slow. I hear about people starting things like an hour beforehand. I'm like, I, I'm, I have no patience for that in anything except like NFL where my process is actually like pretty crummy and slow, um, but I can get away with it. Yeah, I mean, so, so for me, I can I can run out a crunch on on Fantasy Cruncher in you know thirty seconds. So it doesn't need to be a long time. I think a lot of us spend a lot of time because we are we run a crunch and then we analyze the lineups that it creates and then we recrunch and after changing some settings and stuff. So it doesn't need to take a ton of time. But uh, that's cool that you were able to build your own optimizer. It's obviously safer to have your own optimizer. And if for some reason Fantasy Maybe. Cruncher ever crashes, you're gonna have a huge advantage because we're all shit out of luck and you've got your own process going. So, you, you know, you can, there are definitely advantages to having your own. That's pretty cool that you're able to do that. What about projections? Do you, do you do your own projections or ownership projections, or are you taking those from public sources? Um, I generally rely more on the awesomeness stuff, and then I will tweak it based on however I feel, which could be based on a lot of factors. Um, um, but generally, I, I rely more on the awesomeness stuff because... Um, Alex talked to me a bit about the process and what I heard sounded a lot more intensive than anything I'd be doing. So while I might tweak a couple of players that like everyone's talking this person up or something, um, or I might try to conjure up something myself because the projections don't cover this new scenario, like 
oh, by the way, this guy's starting. Who is he? Like, I literally have to look up who he is. Right. Um, so. Yeah, it's helpful but, to be yeah. able to rely on other people who have done that work for you, for sure. Yeah. I wouldn't want to start. For me, there's no reason to start doing my own projections when there's already great projections out there and you can just modify them however you want to get to different exposures that you like. So I'm, I'm on the same page as you there. I'm definitely not going to be creating my own projections. Let's talk about your processes for some specific sports. So I know you, you've won a, a lot of different sports. I looked at your profile on Rotor Grandness recently and you have a lot of nice big wins and a lot of different sports, pretty varied. But I'd say your best sports, and I think you said this to me also, that your best sports have been NBA and NFL. So let's focus on those specifically and talk about your process. So for NBA, how long before the first game's locked do you typically get started working on a given slate? Um, it used to take a lot longer. I used to do every projection from scratch for every game and every player. Um, and then I would usually start like four hours in advance. Um, nowadays, I'm more selective in that if there's a game that's like, there's nothing really going on here, um, I'm not going to try super hard to try to force some sort of one or two minute edge to some player. So I start like two hours in advance, um, you know, tune into the live streams, usually a bit late, and then 1.25x. Um, it actually gets a little weird if I catch up too early on those. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, if I'm used to Lafayette 1.25x, yeah. like, at 1x, he sounds kind of like... He sounds like he's high. Yeah, no, yeah, believe it, me, I know. Because <laughs> I, I yeah. do it at 1.5, maybe 2x sometimes, depending on the day, depending on when I'm able to get to my computer. They'll just be talking so fast, and you get used to it. And then it's so down, it's totally... It's like Lafayette is just like... It feels like he's like slurring his words for a minute before before you adjust. I mean, he's not. Lafayette does a great job hosting. Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, nothing against Lafayette. It's just when you go from the 1.52x to regular speed, it, it sounds like everybody's high at first. So that's a that's yeah. a funny experience. So you do you you listen to the live shows? You do you listen every day to the the deeper dive live before lock that kind of stuff? Introducing the Soul Collection by Brilliant Earth, the global leader in ethically sourced fine jewelry. From pave rings to star-studded bracelets, each piece made with recycled gold or silver and beyond conflict-free diamonds embodies Brilliant Earth's commitment to design, craftsmanship, quality, sustainability, and transparency. Drawing inspiration from the warmth and energy of the sun, soul is more than jewelry. It's an expression of your personality. The Soul Collection, exclusively at Brilliant Earth. Be light, be you. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com slash renew to learn more. Uh, basically, yeah. I mean, occasionally I'll run behind and then I like might lose part of it. Um, I do try to sync up with live before lock um, before the end because, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, the starting lineup popped up. Yeah. And sometimes it takes me multiple points of um, multiple pokes to sort of get my attention. It's like, oh, wow, I have to actually go deal with this right now. Um, yeah. But yeah, and it's like, I don't, I don't actually want to listen to two hours of live streams every day, but they're important and I want to make money. So, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I, you know, they're, they're fun personalities and stuff. But that, that's 14 hours of, of shows every week it is a lot. But I listen because it's important and they do good work. 
yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. It's, it's a little bit of a time suck, but I find that it's worth it. Uh, and I'm, I'm definitely listening. And it's funny that you say that you try to catch up before the end of live before lock, because I'm the exact same way. Like that's always my goal when I start. It's like, okay, what, what speed do I need to listen to this at to be able to catch up before it's over? Because I don't want them to get news, you know, five minutes before lock that I miss on my phone. Like I, I, I'm not caught up. So I miss the news. So it's always important to me that I want to make sure that I catch up uh, before we get there. So, so you're listening to the shows and you're not using Fantasy Cruncher, you are using your own uh, optimizer. So what does that look like for you? So, so you're listening to your shows, are you, as you're listening to the shows, are you adjusting projections for players based on things that they say or what, are you looking at uh, data from like Basketball Monster or what, how, how are you working on uh, your process at that point? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing a lot of these things. Um, occasionally, yeah, they'll, they'll say something like, you know, I, I don't intrinsically like doing this, but a big part of why I listen to a show is for the thing that makes me like, oh, crap, I should go look at that, actually, um, if I'm allowed to say that. Um, oh, yeah. And, and that, that's important to, you know, have someone that you actually care about their opinion and trusted enough to uh, go back and do something. Because, um, like, if, if, you know, I were listening to, like, a live stream of myself, you know, the trust I place in myself is very high, but I'm also not telling myself anything I don't know. Right. Um, so you kind of want a balance there because you can also have some wacky characters show up and then just give some sort all sorts of hot takes. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I, I don't want to listen to this person. So then th there's a balance there. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I will bring up one complaint. Um, sometimes it's, it's probably Adam. Um, he will go on like a lengthy talk about a player. And then at the end, he'll say something like, so this is why I think this guy is one of the most important low pieces on today's slate. And he won't say the person's name. And I'm like, wait, what? Who? And I, I have to click back and, and, and watch. So I wish he would uh, cap it off with the player's name. Yeah, I've, I've been there before with uh, various streams. It definitely can get frustrating when you listen to the whole thing and you're like, oh, I miss, I miss who they're talking about because you don't know at first when they bring up the name how important that player is going to be, like what they're going to say about them. So sometimes you can miss yeah. it and then they say it and you're like, oh, wait, what? who are we talking about? And I'm sure I do the same thing when I'm doing live streams. It can be hard to you know, remember that you need to re-say the, the player's name. Uh, that's interesting. Okay. And, and, and so you don't do your own projections. So are you, I guess you, you're probably uh, no, doing the same I, thing. I, I do my own projections, but I, I try to do them more select actively. Um, there are some cases where I entirely use my projections um, just because, um, you know, that's not the scenario that pe other people are working with. So okay. I should do it myself. Um, uh, I guess I raised the question of, am I an aggregator? Um, the only projections I use are my own and the Osmo projections. I okay. don't see the point of spending extra money for inferior projections that are publicly available elsewhere. Um, obviously, that works for some people. I don't really get it. Um, I can just go to the ownership projections and put in more chalk if I want their picks. Like I don't, maybe there's something I'm missing there. Um, now, if there were other projections that are inferior, but they're not available to many people, those are of value. But as of right now, you know, the only ones I have access to are my own. Um, sure. Because, you know, what you want are just sort of some, some area where you're getting a few different picks. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. And how do you, so when you get breaking news, so since you're doing your own projections, so for me, like we get breaking news that some player is out and uh, obviously then you get boost to other players on the team, sometimes to the opposing team as well. Uh, for me, it's like, okay, I'll wait five minutes, refresh, and the Osmo team will redo those projections for me. Uh, do, you, do you pay close attention then to like rotations? Are you always, you know, trying to figure out 
doing the minutes yourself to try and figure out how you want to project players or are you at some point if you're close to lock do you also do the same thing where it's like okay at this point it's too late to do it on my own and I, I should just rely on you know the osmo projections what how does that work for you right um i will try to work through it myself um but like if it's like three minutes before lock like i kind of have to just write something in and then run my optimizer and then upload it like i don't like the Osmo stuff might be out in 60 seconds, um, but even that might be a little bit too slow for like my optimizer because okay. um, it, it does take a minute or two. Um, right. But you, usually I'll try to have some knowledge or balance there. Um, but to some degree, like just whatever your projections you're working on as you go into the slate, they are just going to affect, you know, your build and everything there. Um, so then I'm trying to remember what my point was here. Um, okay. Okay. What was the question originally? Um, I was asking about how you adjust your projections when we get late breaking news. Like if you just are going to rely on, uh, like the Osmo projections at some point, like, like for me, for most of us, we can rely on other people quickly adjusting based on a player being out, you know, adjusting the rotations for us. Uh, it sounds like because you do more of the projections yourself, you kind of have to rely on yourself and it, you have to know the rotations better. So it sounds like what I gather you're saying is that you just kind of guess at first if you only have a few minutes and then go back and adjust if you have time, like after that, yeah. the, the first yeah. game locks. And that's easier now work. than it used to be. Um, Cause definitely used to be FanDuel. If you miss the upload sucks to be you, you have right. yeah. garbage lineups. Um, but now it, it's, it's very rare nowadays that you actually get the scratched one or two minutes before lock and in the first game players. Sure. Um, obviously there's a famous example of that somewhat recently uh, with Paul George. Paul George. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, was quite a garbage slate for me. And you're going to be like, oh, because you didn't get him out of your lineups. And no, it's because I did get him out of my lineups, and I still finished right in the middle of those Paul George lineups. Like, that oh, was no. perhaps, like, the worst performance relative to expectation I've ever had. Because I assume if you kill off 40% of the field... Right, you've got this huge you know, edge. I should be making bank, and instead, I'm just like... It was hor... It was, I don't know. I was heavy into a game that was complete trash and it was it was bad news did so, you and eric Lindquist get on a call have a little pity party there because i know he was hurting that night when he missed the paul george news no nah, so it, it wouldn't be the same thing either because for him it'd be more like circumstances they'd be like well i i guess i made some bad choices here right so, right um yeah yeah but it, it was very interesting to see that happen from like the other perspective um yeah i mean that, that's also one of the reasons why i don't want to do like shows and stuff is that a lot of the time i'm just kind of like pissed off about something and not really want to have to like talk through a show and act like I'm happy. So you just want to brood. You don't want to have to be putting on a smile yeah. for the people. I get that. Yeah. That yeah. Sense. Brooding. I do a fair amount of that. People know, <laughs> admit right. that, so. Let me take a quick break from this chat with Matt Naughton to tell you about our sponsor, No House Advantage. No House Advantage is bringing you a different way to enjoy DFS with player props contests. It's hundred percent peer to peer to help level the playing field with over 500 player props offered. All new users on Noah's Advantage get a $25 deposit bonus with promo code AWESEMO. That's A-W-E-S-E-M-O. It offers mass, mass entry capability with big prize pools. Beat your friends, not the house. Use our Noah's Advantage projections and optimal lineup tool to help you take down big prizes. Download in the App Store or play on NoHouseAdvantage.com. All right, so NBA and NFL. So we, we, we've got through talking about your NBA process a little bit. I feel like NFL is a very different thing because like NBA, it's a daily grind. Like every single day you're grinding. NFL, it's once a week. I mean, that's that's not really true because we got Sunday, we got sometimes Saturday, we've got Thursday, we've got Monday. But the main slates is, is usually just once a week. So uh, what does that look like? So if you're 
to, to prepare for the Sunday main slate? When do you start working on that for NFL? Um, so I'll work through the previous games typically on, could be Wednesday or Thursday of the week. Um, and then um, sometimes I'll get through everything in time for the Thursday showdown. Sometimes I don't. And then I actually like make a copy of my sheet and then work through that just for that Thursday game and then paste the numbers back in later. Because, um, you know, I, I mean, I don't actually do the DraftKings showdown anymore. I mean, it sounds very lucrative, but I've, I've, I'm intrinsically apparently pretty terrible at it. Um, and I haven't quite come up with the right answer there. I was working on this highly advanced model last year that would solve all these problems. Um, didn't get it done. The season was over and I didn't okay. So maybe next year. Yeah, next maybe. Year have to worry um, about you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's fine. We both have room to. Um, right. Plenty of money there. Would, yeah. Yeah. No. But for, um, for the main slate, then, so you, that, that's for showdown. When, when do you start? Yeah. Do you not start getting working on the main slate until like after the Thursday night showdown? Is it kind of like you focus on one at a time? Yeah, it's it's typically a, a two chunk thing. One is the previous okay. week's games, going through them, seeing what happened, yep. seeing if okay. I have an opinion. Um, and then typically Saturday, I will closer to Saturday evening, then I will do what I consider to be ba close to a final update. Like there's some information I don't know. There are some questionables where I'll just make up an answer one way or another. Mm -hmm. um, but I will just do that and then run through my whole NFL process and upload some coherent lineups. So if I did miraculously sleep in, I didn't just set, you know, five figures on fire. Um, and the other thing is like sometimes uh, the lineups from that uh, particular iteration, I actually kind of like. So then I'll, I'll try to incorporate some of those, even with the Sunday information, um, where like maybe some new chalk piece pops up that I need. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I am definitely like, I feel like I'm sort of, I know Alex has these shows out there in the week, and I'll be listening to them as I'm, I'm working through that stuff. Um, but it, it's, we're never quite synced up. Like sometimes I'll have some inf injury information in, and then the pro projections are updated that afternoon. I'm just like, oh, um, yeah, but I, I don't actually use the Osmo projections for NFL. Um, okay. I look at them as a double check. Both NFL, there's enough on the line, and I have plenty of experience there, and I like the different approach enough that I would just do it all entirely from scratch. And then I use his stuff as a Sandy check, which works a lot better on Sunday morning than, you know, when we're both going off of different injury information. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I like I like that point about using some of your lineups from before you have all the information, because I've definitely found that there have been times when I will really like certain players, maybe maybe not full lineups, but like certain players uh, before I get all the information. And then I completely forget about them in the hustle of like, oh, wow, this player just became a great play. And you can kind of forget about some of the other great plays along the way. So I think it makes sense to keep a subset of your lineups just like from before I had this news, because everybody else is adjusting to that news too. So I think I, I like that approach uh, a lot. And you, you say you do listen to shows as you're working. Uh, you, you put lineups in on Saturday. I take it you all, you do uh, generally get up. You don't sleep through lock, it sounds like, mostly for NFL. Yeah, it hasn't actually come up, um, but I'm just, there are various things that can happen too. Um, like I, I also used to have this, uh, uh, I would have this, the, the FanDuel site would lag for me really badly, like an hour before lock. Um and that, that made for some really tenuous uploads. Like there was one where I literally got my upload in less than a minute before lock. And I'm like, what the hell are they doing with their site? This is a big problem. Uh, it, it turns out my antivirus was running then. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, it took me a while to figure that out. And I was 
I was not pleased because they don't give you any warning about that. Yeah. That was uh, that was pretty stressful there. I've had um, computers where that was an issue. Suddenly everything just freezes, it slows down, and I'm like, what is going on? And then like five minutes later, you see the antivirus pop up, and yeah, that's, uh, that's the worst. Yeah. Uh, oh, and I am also the weirdo who does all his work on one laptop with one screen. I don't okay. have lots of monitors. I'm not always looking at the side to you know see what's going on while watching Dexter on like another TV or something. <laughs> like I have one screen. I can have multiple windows on that screen, and that's fine. But um, hypothetically, that should give me an advantage at live finals because people aren't generally bringing along their whole rig. That's true. But I, I don't know if that's actually a real thing or not. So they're coming to your world at that point. Actually, I'm the same way. I, <laughs> I actually I don't use a laptop. I have it uh, hooked up to a monitor, but I'm just using my large monitor screen is all I'm working on. So kind of the same yeah. way. And I've mentioned this on shows sometimes. It kind of blows people's minds that a lot of the time, if I have to go out, I'll end up doing a lot of late swap from my phone because you can also just like access Fantasy Cruncher from my phone. So that's what really shocks people sometimes. I like, yeah, it's you, you do most of the work on the computer, but then at the end of the day, it saves it in, in Fantasy Cruncher, which obviously I guess you can't do because you don't you don't use Fantasy Cruncher, you use your own optimizer, but uh, it's pretty pretty handy to be able to do it kind of from anywhere. Um, yeah, that does sound like, good. I do have, um, I, I just, if it's important, then I'll just bring my laptop with me and then take it out without warning and then just mumble something about work stuff and then just sort of do that on the side. Because I, I have... It took me a really long time to do it, and I had a lot of really nasty bugs um, for late swap, but it seems to work pretty well now. Um, but yeah, that, that is one issue with doing your own stuff is that you can you can very much screw yourself. There was one sure. particularly bad one that took me a long time to spot where it would put in the second lineup instead of the first lineup that I wanted to swap in. And like earlier on in the slate, that doesn't really matter. That can actually be an advantage. Um, but when it was replacing you know, high-end towns with like, you know, back then Devin Booker, that was a pretty big drop-off. And that's the exact situation that made me like, wait, what the hell happened here? And I feel like I was taking out a, I was taking out a header row that didn't actually exist. So I was just killing off my top lineup or something. Yeah, you can, you can get into so much trouble doing this stuff. So yeah, um, I can imagine. Yeah. That sounds, sounds rough. Sounds dangerous. From yeah, a, from I a, mean, it's, go ahead. Yeah, it, well, it's just, you know, I look at my results and, and so much of them is just sort of a moving target because it's like, oh, I fixed this bug, I fixed that bug. And like, you know, I try to have a good approach about it. You know, I would tell a friend of mine, like, you know, oh, well, it's actually a good thing to find a bug because then it means like you have a reason for maybe some inferior performance. So then that's a positive because then you can do well going forward. And then later on, I told my friend that I found another bug and then they sort of said the same thing back to me. I was like, ah, oh, that's such an annoying sentence. Why would you say that? So, oh, no. so it's definitely a, a different, uh, you can definitely have a different perspective on things based on where they, they come out of your own head or not. So. Yeah, for sure. So you, you mentioned uh, looking back at your results. I'm just curious how that looks for you. Are you doing like back testing with Sims or are you looking at like Roto Tracker? How, how do you look at your past results and analyze them? Um, well, so there's the, um, obviously you can download the DraftKings tournaments and look at them that way. Yeah. Um, and then I sort of make some broad conclusions and try to adapt to FanDuel. Um, and then it's sort of weird because, like, I, I put in the vast majority of my money on FanDuel now because yeah. um, I like it better. Um, so then I still enter on DraftKings sometimes, and that helps to give me a sandy check. And generally what will happen is, like, I'll look at my lineups, and based on projection and ownership, I'll be like, yeah, you know, this lines up very good and good or good and excellent. 
and I should be making lots of money. And then on DraftKings, the punchline is always these days that I just lost money for some reason. So, um, okay. I need to confess, I don't know what a Sandy check is. You, you've, uh, you've used this phrase uh, a couple sanity of times. Sanity check. Sanity check. Oh, okay. I do know what a sanity check is. I, for some reason, yeah. was hearing sandy check and i thought it was like an engineering term that i didn't know uh that makes that makes okay. a lot more sense okay uh yeah um be before we move on I i'd like to talk to talk about uh the FanDuel championship and, and live finals in general a little bit before we move on i'm curious for nfl do you do a lot of late swapping like so for me i'm i usually don't bother unless I have a lineup that looks really promising. Are you somebody that actually like goes in and you know you look at where all of your lineups are and adjust to be uh, more contrarian for some lineups where necessary to try to like get min cash equity or you know if you have a lineup near the top, maybe get a little bit less contrarian because you already have the edge. Do you do a lot of, a lot of late swapping in NFL? Not much. Um, I have a top three that I try to look at. Um, but a lot of times I will, like you look at the lineup and it sucks. And then like you have a player left who's, you know, supposed to be like 5% owned or something. And it's like, well, I'm not going to swap off of this player. This lineup's already fine. So I think you're supposed to do that when you have like chalk left and your lineup sucks. And then you have to find someone else to swap to. And it's not like, oh, I go off of 30% and now I'm at 5%. Usually the next couple people in line are, you know, like 15%. Right. Um, and so... It, I do it, but it's not, it doesn't take that long, but it's also not very rewarding. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that's really like a big week in people's game if they don't do it, honestly. Yeah, it's not something that I spend a lot of time on because generally I'm just focused on the lineups yeah. that have win equity and I'm not as concerned with the mean cash equity. So I don't think that it's a huge leak, but it's something that I'm always curious about. I know that I think there are some pros who focus on it more than others and I'm not somebody who focused on it, but I know that some are. Uh, we, we also have one one listener question that I wanted to get out. Freddie asked, do you MME every contest? I assume he means every contest that you're joining as opposed to like every contest on the site because that would be uh, too much money. <laughs> so do, do, yeah. do you ever uh, enter a contest that you don't uh, MME, that you don't max out? Yeah, I mean, in baseball, I keep it to like 20 to 40 because um, – Something weird happens with the lineup. I just go in and manually edit it. I'm not satisfied with any approach that doesn't automatic approach because those generally just screw up my lineups. Um, okay. In basketball, I, I and then in basketball, usually in the lower stakes, I will max enter if it's FanDuel. Um, but in higher stakes, like I, I don't feel at all obligated to three percent, as in have three percent of the entries in like a high stakes contest. Like I might not enter at all, or I might go, you know up to 1%, but 1% one, is already a lot, you know, like 1% uh, would be like literally two entries in a 200 person contest. Right. Um, I have a hard time balancing my entries um, and something like basketball, baseball, it's easier to spread out your lineups. I feel like I, I could just be wrong. Um, but in basketball, there usually are some players that just jump out as being much better, but I don't actually want to put in like 2% of the tournament with those players. Right. Um, so I try not to, I don't feel obligated to max out everything just so I can set exposures and all that stuff. I, I, I don't consider that to be valuable. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, on the same page as you with baseball. I'm spreading out my ownership way more than basketball and, you know, kind of doing a lot of different team stacks. Whereas for basketball, I'm a lot more likely to get to 100% of a player or close to 100% of a player. So I think I am on the same page as you there. And I also, I, uh, Freddie, Freddie has asked this question 
many times on Twitter. It's, it's a common question for him about MME. And I think that he has a thesis that uh, you need to max enter contest to win is kind of what I've gathered from the way he asks questions. And I got to say, before I had the bankroll to max enter contest, I was regularly entering like five entries into 150 max contest. Like it's, it's something, if you have the bankroll for it, I think there are other people who would advise people not to enter a contest unless you can max it out. And I never played that way. Is that something, do you have an opinion about that, about whether it's like negative EV to enter five entries into a 150 max? No, I mean, if you're good enough, those should all be positive. And if you're good at working through your lineups, which, you know, uh, some people might actually do the reverse thing where their first couple lineups in are too chalky or something. Yeah. Um, or some people deliberately do not have an order to their lineups because they're all equally good or something. Um, but then, um, yeah, I mean, I, I have no qualms in under-entering something. Like if I play on DraftKings later in the season, I would just have 20 in the 20 max, and then I'd put those 20 in the $15 tournament. And that's all I do because um, yeah. I just I, I didn't feel very obligated to enter them. Um, that also brings up a point that I was going to try to sneak in here somewhere. Let me yeah, see sneak it in. Find in some notes that I made here. Um, okay. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. So on live shows, they talk a lot about, you know, 150 lineups and exposures in, in 150 lineups because, um, you know, that's what all the, the big dogs do. And, uh, you know, that's what they, the real players do. And then it raises the question of what do you do if you don't have as many lineups? And yeah. I would say you're not under any obligation to have your exposures mirror those of what they would be in 150 lineups. Like if you have 10 lineups, and those are the 10 out of 150 that you think are the best and they all have the same player, um, that's fine. I think you should go for that. Um, there are reasons to balance out your exposures more if you don't have a strong opinion because reducing variance is valuable. But I feel like a lot of people aren't actually bankroll limited. Um, they're just putting in X amount as a hobby or because they've already made tons of money in the past. Um, and in that case, I, I, in general, I think you should just go with your beliefs um, rather than try to match your 150 exposure and to yeah. take that to an extreme degree if you have one lineup in a contest if that lineup's not supposed to have as many of your top exposed players as possible it should be a good or great or hopefully your best lineup which right. generally won't have like a ton of those top dudes that's a really good point and i now, now that I'm doing live shows again for baseball, I, I feel like I talk in generalities about my 150 set. And sometimes I finish a show and I'm like, I feel like I should have talked less about the 150 set because there are people who only enter three or five entries and you kind of got to talk a little bit more about specific plays. But yeah, it's different. If you're only playing five, 10 entries, you can have 100% of certain players. Your, your conviction plays that you just want to count on. It's more like you need to spread it out if you are playing 150. And at that point, it's kind of like, when I'm talking about the percentages I have in my 150 set, it's more about like my confidence in those players is kind of what I mean to be suggesting by that. Not like this is what you should be doing in your five or 10 lineups, try to match my exposure. So yeah, it's a really good point that it's, it's a different game when you're only entering five to 10 lineups versus 150. It's kind of a, you got to have a little bit of a different thought process. That's a, that's a really good point. All right. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the uh, FanDuel NBA championship that you just won. $500,000, that's, uh, that's not too bad. Uh, I also, I noticed while I was looking, let's talk more generally about these qualifier events. Because I was looking through your uh, Roto-Grinders profile and noticing that you have been a qualifier at many, many different uh, finals events. So what is it that attracts you to qualifiers? Is it the large payouts? Uh, is it the live final that you enjoy? Or what, what is it that you enjoy about the live final qualifiers? Um, so the qualifiers, well, first off, they're uh, something else that I can enter 
with some of the lineups that I like more. Um, generally, I'm not as nearly as careful with like my 10th lineup. So sometimes I'd rather just use lineups I like in a lot of different contests. Um, Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com renew to learn more. Between aging and busy lifestyles, many women struggle with maintaining their physical and mental wellness. At Aquavita Concierge Healthcare Services for Women, we can help you revitalize your health and reclaim your life. We start from within by balancing your hormones, allowing your body to achieve and maintain desired weight goals. We also specialize in peptide therapies, regenerative medicine, sexual health, and aesthetics in our state-of-the-art facilities. Feel better, look better, live better. At Aquavita, visit aquavitality.com and begin your journey today. Um, sometimes the qualifiers um, are in places I'd like to be. Um, and there's actually, like, you can get a fair amount of value out of just hanging out there and talking to people. I mean, I guess another way is just, you know, sunfrostmall.com and then go in the Discord channel during office hours and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I got some, some valuable tips about, like, oh, you can just ask for a deposit bonus sometimes. And sometimes the site will give you one. And that was actually a pretty large chunk of my revenue for that year. Um, it wasn't a great year, but it would have been notably worse if I didn't have that revenue. Um, and just, you know, I mean, I, I don't think it's good form to just walk up to someone and start asking for tips. I much prefer if someone walks up for me and wants tips, I would prefer them to start talking through their process. And then maybe I'd give some feedback on different parts or then I'm like, no, this sounds basically right. I would, you know, I, maybe I try to put in one edgier type pick in your lineup, but I mean, this is a strategy that some pros use and, and it works. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, uh, but the live final experience is fun. They do have diminishing returns. Um, if you go to like all of them, there are three of them in a year. Third one's really not as good. Um, not as good from I mean, like, the, a, the like one a fun standpoint or what do you mean by not as good? Yeah, fun. Okay. Just not as fun. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and, you know, because they're they're pretty similar and you know like okay here's this open bar event here's this open bar event here's this open bar event and there's also an excursion that some people didn't make it to because they're too hungover from the open bar event yeah. um but you know i mean i mean I, I had a really good time at like the denver one last year because that was like the first not exactly post covid but since covid started it was like the yeah. first live final where i was just like having a blast just talking to people i knew and people i didn't know and just yep. sort of these odd quirks. Um, I, I'm going to throw this anecdote out there because I don't know if I can fit in smoothly elsewhere. Um, <laughs> Alex was at this bar, at the hotel bar, and he was wearing a, a Doosan Bears sweatshirt from KBO. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I, re I remember that time in my life where I would stay up till 2 or 3 a.m. for me. And uh, one time I didn't have internet at my house, so I drove out to a part this frog pond uh, to do some late swaps, and I could hear the frogs croaking at night. Um, so that sort of brought back an era for me. But yeah, Alex is wearing this Doosan Bear sweatshirt. And then some other guy walks up to him. And he's like, I see that you're wearing a bear sweatshirt. Are you from Chicago? And then Alex said, yes, because he lives in Chicago. Yeah. Like, that's, <laughs> that that happens funny. a lot, that people are right for the wrong reasons. And yeah. that is something to watch for in DFS. That's really funny.
So you, so you do, you enjoy the events of the the live final. Was that story? Was that at a live final, or was that just uh, just an aside? Yeah, that was. Um, well, I, it, we were just sort of hanging out at a bar before okay. something was going on. Um, but yeah, that was at the Denver live final last year. And then okay. I live in Colorado um, myself. Actually, I don't know if you heard about the Superior and Louisville uh, wildfires, December thirtieth last year. Uh, not ringing a bell. Okay, that's how, that's how um, much I am. Yeah, no, it happens. People don't always keep with that stuff. But yeah, it was, uh, I was not at home at the time. And, uh, you know, there, there was a point, actually, there weren't nearly as many homes burned down as it sort of seemed like at first. But there was a part where I was fairly confident my house had just burned down. Oh, no. Um, based on what I could extract from Twitter. Um, and that was a, it was a pretty rough time. Um, so, were you not at home because you because you knew the wildfires were coming and you left, or were, were you? Just uh, no, it was December thirtieth, so I was visiting uh, my family for the holidays. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah. It, I mean, I guess every year is weird now, but that was uh, that was that was a pretty weird one. So. And so, so you you live in Colorado. It seems like a lot of DFS players, like a lot of the good DFS players that I talk to, live in Colorado. Is there some benefit? Is like a, is there like a tax benefit to playing DFS in Colorado, or what attracted you to Colorado? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I came here for the scenery because sometimes I just can like go on a hike midweek, and then um, I would rather do that where there's actual scenery and stuff. Um, so that's why I'm here. Um, I know there's some tech background in the area, so that could lead to it. I know there used to be this whole Fort Collins crew. Um, I don't know how many of them still play. They would be interesting guests to have, though. I, yeah. I do think that actually some of the people who maybe aren't really playing anymore might still be very interesting to listen to. Sure. Um, and then, um, yeah, I know. I mean, Steve's in the area, and like he has my number, but like we never actually like make the hour drive to like hang out and talk. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't know. I know what that's like. <laughs> I have a lot of friends like that who an hour is a long way. It's just it, it seems like you know you want to see them, but you really want to drive an hour. Uh, it takes a little mm -hmm. bit more effort. Um, so about about back to, back to live finals a little bit. So I'm, I'm curious. I, I actually I just thought of this. I asked John Breslin this because uh, he's also big on live finals. Uh, yeah, when yeah. you do yeah, a little bit. Okay. You, yeah. All right. Uh, when, when you get into a live final, do you try to max enter it? Like, do you try to get the max number of entries, or are you like, okay, I've got my one ticket to the live final. This is all I need, and now you know I'm going to get the live final experience now, so I don't need more than one ticket. What's your approach there? Do you try to get more than one ticket to a given live final? Um, I generally don't worry about it too much. I would say it's more that I enter based on how much I feel like entering the qualifiers, and what happens happens there. Like, I, I don't, I wouldn't enter an eight max qualifier, eight max is an eight person, I should say. Right. So one of those crummy qualifiers that FanDuel runs from time to time where it's literally like eight people competing for a seed and they're all like big name people. Like yeah. I, I don't enter those. I, I feel like that's, I don't really know who that's for. Um, yeah. So I'm cool with having not that many entries. And I would say in general, like in football, I can juggle maybe three, not that I've, I've had like one entry in a football final like ever okay um three if you count king of the beach um but uh in basketball and baseball i have a hard time managing more than two lineups okay in this high stakes stuff where i'm supposed to actually scrutinize it and double check and sort of wonder what the field's doing and then you know if i should zig or if everyone else is going to zig so then i should just play chalk it, it gets right, really right. weird and yeah, it's just sure. it's hard to deal with and one of those gets you the trip anyway so whatever 
Exactly. I mean, you're, you're talking about diminishing returns. It's like once you've got the trip, that's like most of what you're most of the expense you're getting out of it anyway. Not really most because it's a there's, a there's huge prices involved, but it's a part of it. Like you, you get the trip with the first one. You don't really you don't get more trips with more tickets. So, uh, yeah, I was just curious to hear your mindset there. What about uh, so, so you've done live finance for both FanDuel and DraftKings. Uh, who does it better? Um, for a while, I would have said that DraftKings was quite a bit better. Um, I do feel like FanDuel did step up their game over time, but they do tend to have some, um, sometimes they just have these sort of odd uh, choices for like um, an event or it'll be like, okay, well, here's this thing, but, you know, okay, it's just like a bunch of, you know, Miller Lite or something. Okay. Um, and I don't really put a ton of emphasis on just like that. Um, so I, there's arguments for both. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's, um, oh, I had this whole spiel in mind about, you know, how live finance should work and how certain things are inefficient, but I, I feel like I've forgotten most of it. Um, okay. But so, it sounds like you, uh, you generally enjoy live finals as they exist now, which is, in my experience, it's like a full weekend long event. Is that typically, I mean, I, I've only ever been to uh, the TOC for DraftKings, which I think is a little bit different than some of the other live final events, but I've seen pictures and it seems like it's, they kind of go all out at every live final, at least for like a weekend. Is it usually just like a two day thing? Yeah, it's generally three or four days. Okay. Um, I think DraftKings usually has the extra day. Um Oh, yeah. So one thing that can come up is that um, the default assumption for these sites is that open bar and lots of drinking and eating and watching sports is like the pinnacle of uh, enjoyment for everyone. Yeah. And I have to say that I don't want to actually watch sports for seven hours straight. I like to check in and then I want to, you know, leave, take a shower, go walk, you know, by the coast or something. Um, you know, maybe do something else, um, then come back, talk to some different people, see what's going on, decide, you know, when I, I might try to actively sweat something or, you know, usually I don't do that well, so there isn't anything to really sweat. Um, but yeah, the, the, so I, I did like New Orleans a lot. Um, I do have a, actually generally quite a high opinion of the city because the first time I was there in ninth grade, I was for academic games uh, and, and Alex and I were both competing. And, you know, I, I, I won one of the individual competitions there. Oh, wow. um, then I came back four years later with my set of students, and then they won some of the overall competitions there. Um, and then the third time that I came back, you know, was for the live final, and then I won that. So it's, uh, it's quite a bit <laughs> of association there. Do you think, are yeah. you thinking about moving there? I mean, why, if, you, if you're so lucky in that city, why, why stay in Colorado? Well, I, I would want more live finals to be there. Okay, but okay. yeah, there's uh, yeah, there are limits. Um, sure. But yeah, no, I mean it's just uh, a positive association there. But uh, ah, yes, I was going to give feedback about the live final. So I like New Orleans a lot. Um, but one of the mistakes that they made for the live final, I think, was having it six miles away from the hotel. Oh, so wow. we were all just sort of marooned there. Yeah. And this was an exceptionally long slate. It started at three thirty Eastern, and then the last game started at nine Eastern. Um, so that was supposed to be like 12 hours of open bar yeah, or something that's a lot. in the same place, or maybe 10 hours. And that's a lot. And they didn't, they didn't have like a lot of outlets and stuff. Like there was more variety because it was like a regular bar. So it wasn't just like margaritas only. They, they had a, a wide variety of drinks that you could try, okay. but it was, uh, you know, I was feeling a bit cooped up and also I couldn't really talk to people. 
Um, so that dynamic was a bit weird. Why, why is that? Um, why could people, you talk to people? Because I, I had already basically lost my voice at this point. Oh, okay, okay. Um, that <laughs> yeah, started the previous sense. night. Yeah, yep. it's not really about being shy at this point. I don't really care at finals. Like, <laughs> you know, if I I know that the worst thing that happens if you walk up to Chipotle addict is not that like he's going to cuss you out. It's that he'll talk to you too much about crypto and NFTs, and then you'll want to pull me <laughs> back out of the conversation. <laughs> I've never met Chipotle addict, but that sounds like a, a fun conversation for me. I might be I might be more into it than you are. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that is an ongoing hazard at these live finals that people just talk your ear off about all this stuff. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't actually want to talk even daily fantasy that much at a certain point. I, I'd rather just talk to like, you know, a lot of times just people as guests who have, you know, I, I like talking to engineers and sometimes engineers, pharma people, um, just, you know, I, yeah. I've met a lot of interesting people at the live finals. Yeah. It's it's definitely a good time. And I definitely do not, I, I I say that I enjoy talking about NFTs and crypto. I'm I'm only half joking. It's it's not something that I do a lot of talking about. So if somebody wants to talk to me about it, sure, I'm I'm willing to talk about it. But uh, honestly, I don't know all that much about NFTs, even though I'm sort of into them. So uh, not something that I try to focus on. But uh, let let's get back to talking about your specific uh, New Orleans experience. You say that you haven't, you don't usually have a lot of success at live finals, which is funny because you just took down. Um, the no, I wouldn't. I, I'm not saying that. I'm okay. saying that the nature of the structure is that, um, you know, most of the time you are going to have a deadline up um, going True. into the last hour or so. So there's yeah. nothing to really sweat. Okay. Um, Got it. I, get, I, I suppose even before like this recent first place, I, I've done above average probably because I had the yeah. third place in FanDuel 2019. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, third place, King of the Beach, 2016. Um, yeah. And then, I don't know, like sixth or something last year, King of the Beach. Yeah. Um, so, so the, those are there. pretty good results. Um, I would take those results, yes. Yeah, right. yeah. So, you, so you've had so a lot of success at live finals, but nothing better. I think we, I think we can agree, nothing better than winning this this yeah. five hundred thousand dollar top prize. Uh, first of all, was that your only lineup in the contest this time? Yeah, that was one entry. Um, I was quite happy with that, and okay. I, I didn't go like, oh, I have one entry, I should be more careful. I'm like, no, I have one entry. I'm just going to make the best lineup I, that I can. 
and it's generally going to have some players in there that will probably make me look stupid by the end of the day. One of them did. Cough um, Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Come on, I could have no, told you not he, to play He Westbrook. has made a lot of people look stupid this year. Yes, he has. He's, he's good at making people look stupid. All right, yeah. let's talk about the lineup uh, a little bit overall. And um, uh, Mike, if you can put it up on the screen for people that are on YouTube, might be helpful to yeah. be able to visualize it. And then for people on the podcast, I'll just read it out for you. All right, so you had Shai Gildas, Shay, I always say Shai, no, it's Shay Gildas Alexander at 21% owned, Russell Westbrook at 4% owned, Cade Cunningham at 68% owned, Terry Taylor at 38%, Marcus Morris at 2%, Darius Baisley, Basley at 5%, Isaiah Jackson at 11%, Jackson Hayes at 58% and Joel Embiid at 47%. So you had a lot of major chalk and a lot of really contrarian plays in there. Uh, I'm, I'm curious how you landed on this specific lineup. Right. Um, so I will disclose that this is not the lineup I had when I first entered the contest, that there was some late swap involved. Okay. Um, I, I sort of, I might've actually approached this late in sort of the wrong way. Cause when I looked at it, I didn't see, I thought all the value was really obvious. It was New Orleans player because a couple people were out um and then i didn't see a lot of other exciting options on the slate and then i looked at some of the questionables i'm like no even if all these players are out it still doesn't really look all that special to me mm -hmm. um so i tried one of my tactics and i have several tactics many of which are self-contradictory but just bear with me um and one of those tactics is to lock in a player that i think um someone like marcus morris early because um, if everyone's waiting for late swap news and value, then and they don't get it, then they're all going to end up on like the same players. And I kind of want to be able to swap freely if I can and have sort of a differentiator in my lineup early on. Yep. Um, the biggest chalk player was Najee Marshall, who came in at about 64% uh, here. I was sort of indifferent on him. I thought he was solid at his ownership, not really good or bad. Mm -hmm. um, but Marcus Morris was at the same position. And, you know, this is a guy who has some upside um, and can score a lot of points. As so happened, he actually did. In most cases, he does. But um, I, I thought that was um, an interesting player to have in my lineup and uh, sort of making a difference there. Yeah, um, and he, he was a pretty big differentiator, put up 40.4 fantasy points uh, at at 5,500 salary. So yeah, he was definitely a big uh, differentiator from, actually Najee Marshall actually did pretty well as well. He had 36 fantasy yeah, points. That's so the odd so part. he actually didn't, he actually didn't get, get a big edge there. I take it back. Yeah, it's arguable whether I actually lost on that exchange because yeah. Marcus Morris is 5,500, 40.4. Najee Marshall yeah. got 36 and he was only 3,900. So in a yeah. lot of the cases, the majority of cases, he's actually the better choice. So yeah. that's the odd thing. Like I had two players locked in from the early games, Cade Cunningham, who was like this must have, at 51.8 points off of 7,100. And then Marcus Morris at 40.4, 2% owned. And I'm like, oh, this looks really good. I mean, there are no actual favorites, but you know, I might be a favorite at this point. Yeah. Um, but, but then it turns out that, yeah, I wasn't actually, I was actually a bit behind. Um, and that didn't actually greatly affect my strategy. There was, you know, someone brought up like, oh, should you just start playing all the chalk then? I was like, well, there's a lot of final left. Who knows how it's gonna go. Um, but I, I did think about, you know, trying not as hard to be quite as edgy as I would otherwise. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So you locked in Marcus Morris, Cade Cunningham, uh, and then you, you ended up making some late swaps? Yeah. Um, I don't remember the initial lineup. I, I do remember having Westbrook in it um, without LeBron James. 
Um, and, and my understanding is that people are going to might come back to the segment next year. So I'll try to give some context here. Um, in the 2021-2022 season, Russell Westbrook and LeBron James were on the same team. So I think that's important to know so that this explanation makes sense. Sure. Um, so um, LeBron James was questionable. Um, he has a lot of sort of questionable, but actually means probable designations. Yep. So I didn't think a ton of that. But I was like, well, you know, if he actually did look, get ruled out, I'm going to look like a genius here and just sort of like crush everything. And if not, then Westbrook, like, you know, he still does things. It's 7,600. Um, I mean, it's not, not, not too expensive. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it's been surreal to watch the season. Yeah. Uh, metaphorically, I, I don't really watch your average basketball game. Um, but just see, like, how this guy has plummeted further and further. And I thought 7,600 was quite a good value for a guy that was this unpopular. Yep. Um, history did not prove me correct. Um, but, you know, I mean, again, he's made a lot of people look stupid this year. For, for, context, for, for, for the podcast listeners, for context, Russell Westbrook, 7,600, uh, looked like he might be a good play, put up 14.4 fantasy points at 4% ownership. So huge dud, like about as bad as you could get from Westbrook. Yeah, and he was, the, he was like my ace in the hole for the last set of games because the last set of games, they start, and I'm in second place to uh, miss baseball's lineup, and I'm 10 points behind it, and I have Westbrook. It's like, okay, no problem. This isn't going to be an issue. And then other people will start to catch up because LeBron James is popular because he was in full uh, trying to be a superhero but only on offense mode, um, which is, you know, your ideal fantasy thing. James Harden fans will remember a similar approach. Yep. Um, and then, um, you know, then there are other Suns players, but, you know, some of them were solid. Um, I currently have the, the third place lineup with giant squid loaded up. Um, and then campaign was popular. I thought he was a solid play. Um, I, I didn't really feel like going out of my way to play him and being very popular. Yeah. Um, the odd part is he was sort of, um, competing in space with Russell Westbrook. Cause if, if your lineup had to have Cade Cunningham, you could choose whether to put him at point guard or shooting guard. So then yep. you could effectively play campaign or Russell Westbrook in the lineup with Cunningham. Um, and then the fact that the Lakers got absolutely crushed, while you look at it in hindsight, you're like, oh, well, obviously this is a blowout. The Lakers suck. Um, one blowouts aren't really as common as people make them out to be. Um, and also, you know, it wasn't quite as obvious back then that the Lakers would be this terrible. Although watching the game was, there are good sweats and bad sweats. And that was, that was definitely a bad sweat. Yeah. Like, I wasn't even sure if Russell Westbrook would get me the 10 points based on the load of nothing he was doing. Yeah. And you don't get points for missing threes, as it turns out. Um, and then and then once in a while, they would have a play that was coherent, like LeBron would head towards the basket, and then the defenders would swore him because him, that's what they do. And then he'd just plaster Russell Westbrook, who's right next to the basket, and just go up and put it in the basket. And I'd be like, if this had been happening more all year, maybe they'd have a better offense. Yeah. Um, we're figuring out the reverse. Like I, I, I understand LeBron's not supposed to be able to play off ball because he's named LeBron James, but it's not just like who's a better point guard. It's are you better off having Westbrook playing off ball, or are you better off having someone who can actually like shoot threes and stuff and yeah. function as a huge distraction? So I don't know that that whole thing was kind of. I don't know. It's yeah. You have tons and tons of hot takes, and suddenly yeah. there's been no shortage of hot takes about the Lakers. So so let's sure. move on there. But yeah, yeah, it was it was not a fun sweat because I could see, you know, 
um, campaign approaching, Eaton was starting to rack up the points. Yeah. And they're, you know, because it was a blowout, they were racking them up like really quickly. And of course, um, you've got Westbrook just, who uh, turns the ball over like crazy. So he, he only had yeah. four turnovers in this game, which isn't even that bad for Westbrook. But on FanDuel, you lose a full point per turno- turnover as opposed to DraftKings where it's half a point. So you always have to be sweating negative points with Westbrook too. Yeah, it, it, it is an issue. And like, you know, even in his prime, you, you always have to worry about the uh, quadruple double, as I call it. Right. So yep. um, it, it's dangerous stuff. Like I, I, I didn't know it was going to happen, but I could just see things slipping away. And I wasn't sure, even though it was a blowout, whether they just leave campaign out for a bit more. Um, but yeah, they, they, they packed it in. Um, and ultimately, even though I end up winning by uh, just like five points here, um, I mean, you sub in a, a, an average Westbrook score and I win by a lot. Yeah. Um, and then also there's this interesting counterfactual that I thought would be kind of neat. If you just flip the order of the slate, so the Lakers game is first, then like I'm just dead. Obviously, I'm not going to win the final, right. and I'm just going right. through the motions because I'm supposed to. And then I would get to top off the night with this like fantastic Marcus Morris sweat of all things. I'm just rooting for every single basket that he's doing. That would have been really fun. Trying to keep the hold, not quite as fun, but it did result in 500k. So <laughs> not complain complain about that too much. So at the end of the day, you'll you'll take the result here. That's, yeah, uh, yeah. You, you end up winning by five. That's uh, that's pretty solid. Pretty solid night, winning five hundred thousand. I mean, if you had gotten second, looks like she won two hundred fifty thousand. So, not a bad night for Miss Baseball either. Or Giant Squid took home one hundred fifty thousand. So, any of these scores really look pretty solid overall. But yeah, I think five hundred thousand, uh, you'll you'll take yeah. that any day. Um, yeah, I should probably talk about the overall build for the lineup because I think yeah. that's sort of helpful for. Um, I don't know if you guys have actually made a video for like, oh, watch this if this is your first NBA live final. Watch this if this is your first NFL live final. I feel like that'd be like an interesting bit of content there. Yeah. yeah, this is sort of for like people who have no real idea what to do and maybe just sort of want to qualify or on impulse and are kind of lost. Um, if you look at my lineup, obviously there's some notable chalk there, um, but there's some there's quite a bit of what I call edgy or I guess contrarian is the term other people use, plays. Yep. Um, three players under 10% and then one who happened to be 11%. Um, Darius Basley... I, I was really surprised he was as unpopular as he was. I, I thought he was a steal, and I, you could argue he was the biggest difference maker in my lineup. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like if you have no idea what you're doing and you're just sort of winging it and you don't know what to do, um, the strategy that Alex, among others, has, has espoused before, to have just two unpopular players in your lineup and then just sort of fill out the lineup with other players that you at least kind of like, um, I feel like that's a, a, just a really convenient starting point. Yep. Um, in my case, the difference makers would have then been Russell Westbrook and Marcus Morris um, with pretty divergent outcomes there. But yeah. there are definitely scenarios where they could have been the ones that won me the tournament. Um, and I wouldn't say you always have to have those. I'm willing to, you know, there are days where I'll have zero players under 10%. Yeah. Um, I, I do think like five is too many. I, I feel like you're... You probably are, are galaxy bringing it. I think that's the term. Um, yeah. So I mean, you ended up with three five percent or less, which is which is fairly contrarian. I mean, three players. Yeah, I, I was. Or less. I and I didn't really expect that to happen. I wanted right. some players to be different, but 
Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Okay, round 2. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You just end up like looking like I was making this huge stand, but it just seemed like that's the kind of build that I felt like going into the tournament. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it worked out. But, you know, but you noticed, yeah, I had Joel Embiid, 47%. I had Jackson Hayes, 58%. Kate Cunningham, 68%. Like, these yeah. players are all perfectly reasonable to play. Yeah, it's and good, future good people balance. will. Yeah, they'll, they'll understand who they are. And then Terry Taylor, um, future people will probably consider him to be, like, an important member of, like, the Pacers rotation. Um, but he was still kind – he was working his way into the rotation, but still kind of a nobody at this point. Yeah. I was a little surprised he was as popular as he was, but he was mid-priced. You know, that's okay. He's thirty-five hundred, not a big deal. Yeah. So. Nice. Well, that was uh, definitely a hell of a lineup. Congrats on that. That's uh, got to be pretty exciting. I, I have never won at a live final, so it's uh, I, I imagine it's pretty exhilarating. Uh, and, and you, it sounds like you hand built this one, right? Um, so I, I have the optimizer run and then I looked at the various lineups it gave okay. and so I was sort of handpicking it. Um, but also that first build, I was pretty sure that I'd end up swapping off a lot of the people anyways. So I wasn't going to overstress it. It's just something like, am I okay with having Marcus Morris locked in? And based on my understanding of the slate, I, I was cool with it. So. Okay. And actually, be, before we get to my closing question, I wanted to ask, because uh, you mentioned that you like FanDuel better than DraftKings, and I'm just uh, curious if you have a general reason that you can give for why you prefer FanDuel in general over playing on DraftKings. Yeah. Um, well, my results are better, and that's probably the foremost thing. <laughs> yep. Um, I feel like FanDuel is more likely to just take some shots and do weird contest sizing and things like that. Okay. And DraftKings is very focused on we have to fill these contests, and if not, it's a failure, and we've lost money. That money's gone, and we want our quarterly bonuses. So we're going to shrink them and screw over anyone who didn't enter the slate, you know, more than two hours early. Okay. Um, and to me as a player, I find that very frustrating, and I also think it's very short-sighted yep. because if your contest doesn't fill, yeah, okay, you didn't take in as much money, but where did that money go? It goes to the players. Right. And so by investing in these contests, um, you can maintain better contests over time. You can make more money. 
and it's not such a bad thing for the players to get a rate cut once in a while. Like, right. It doesn't take that much effort to like keep running basketball as far as I know. Um, and I just have, you know, there are frustrations with both sites, but for DraftKings, they don't have a quick swap thing after all these years that was let you swap to someone with a higher salary. And I think that's egregiously dumb and yeah. it cannot be that hard for them to program this in. FanDuel's had this for a long time. It's a big failure if I want to use my phone without an optimizer to just swap in some person. Yep. Like, I mean, I, in other things it's fine, but in baseball, maybe I want to put in some lineups and like go somewhere without bringing my laptop. And I want to be able to swap from like a 3,500 player to 3,600 player. So I, I just find these things to be very frustrating. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that for sure. But yeah, I mean, obviously there are, yeah, there are arguments for both sites. And in general, I don't think the differences are so big that you should completely go against your ROI, as it were. Um, but I feel like FanDuel gets ignored and gets kind of a bad rap. And I, I, I like a lot of the contest formats better. I already explained, you know, uh, the FanDuel NFL showdown on how I think that's actually kind of cool in a tournament context. In a head-to-head context, it's kind of dumb. Um, I, for the for basketball, I don't like the utility spot. I think it leads to a lot of situations, especially at high stakes, where here's some cool player and you saved a spot for them. But you know what? Lots of other people have the utility spots. That player should be 40% owned, is 40% owned. Yeah. So then what am I doing? Why am I wasting my time swapping? I would rather not swap at all. Um, and in that case, it, it, knowing to wait for an edge and then be like, oh, this was a waste of time. Um, okay. So I, I prefer how FanDuel makes you think a little bit more in advance um, and being able to differentiate between other pros or regulars. I, I think FanDuel does a better job there. So are you, are you opposed to the, the new uh, multi-position eligibility on FanDuel? It seems like they've been, in some ways, moving more towards what DraftKings does, and, and the multi-position eligibility for a lot of players obviously changes that a little bit. Are, are you opposed to it, or are you okay with the amount that they've changed? Yeah, um, I wasn't really a fan. I, I do feel like it doesn't really change a whole lot um, overall, I, I, I guess, based on how my results this season have been. Actually, they've been notably better. Okay. Um, but it's uh, even without the final. Um, but uh, arguably, the one that I would have put in is just a power forward and center flex spot. Mm -hmm. um, and I still think that FanDuel centers are very interesting. And a lot of times you have this stud center and then you have this cool value center and having to actually pick between them is important. And yeah. I like that people have to make the decision. Um, the advantage of power forward center isn't that you're going to play one of those flex players at center very often. It's that people who have a center that gets scratched have someone to swap to. And admittedly, that is kind of why people wanted late swap. They want to at least have a shot at cashing, even if they're not going to win. Um, and I can understand that because ultimately, I view myself as being in the entertainment business. Like That's what a DFS professional is. They are helping to support these contests for people's entertainment so they can compete um, and hopefully have fun. Um, and so if something makes the site more fun for people, whether it's injury designations, um, in general, I would prefer that to be the case unless it's just really bad for um, lineups and, and the economy. Give us a like and subscribe so you can keep up with all of our shows, DFS offers, giveaways, and much more. Once you subscribe, hit that notification button to get alerts when our shows go live. Be sure to also check out our monthly podcast giveaway. Just subscribe to our podcast channel and leave a five-star review with your Awesomeo username or Twitter handle to be entered to win a free month of Awesomeo Plus Platinum.
I think I, I was originally a bigger fan of FanDuel, and in a lot of ways, I, I agree with a lot of what you just said, that I, you know, there are a lot of pros to FanDuel. Uh, I think that I've become more of a DraftKings player only because it's what all of the pros do, like, or uh, the majority of pros and, like, the majority of content out there is about DraftKings, so I think it, like, sort of has slowly got me playing more focused on, on DraftKings, even though I definitely, I, I feel like I, I do better uh, outside of my biggest, biggest wins, I do better generally on FanDuel as well. So I think for sure there, there are pros and cons to both sites. Um, let, yeah, let's close it up. It is the I, nature of the beast. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, Austin, gonna, yeah it is kind of the nature of the beast too because if DraftKings has a larger contest of like high stakes, you're going to win more money in it and you're going to win it less often. Right. Um, but yeah, in your case, I, I would I would have a hard time arguing with a million dollars. So. Right, yeah. That Obviously, that, that biggest win helps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, I've been closing it out with the question, asking people what their favorite DFS celebration was. I also got the, uh, a question from a listener, Beaufort DFS asked, what was your favorite DFS win ever? So I'll ask those, kind of combine them, uh, your favorite DFS win ever and your favorite DFS celebration ever. It's, if it's the same, that's that's totally fine. Okay, um, I, I, they're not going to be the same. Okay. Um, and I'd have to think a bit about the celebration. So I'm actually going to give a, a fairly long and rambling answer and then eventually circle back to the okay. original point that you asked. Um, there are probably two major contentions for favorite win. Um, one would be in 2017, um, which was this really big football win. Um, and I thought that was just sort of like the culmination of, you know, building up and being independent as a player, uh, work entirely off my own projections and, and all that. And uh, I got second in the fan championship, which back then was uh, 400K. I think it's 250k, which uh, um, I mean, I, I shouldn't go like a lame, um, <laughs> but I, I I do think that that structure, I like that I like that structure a lot better in general. Um, if you can get a million up top, but then have second place, not feel like um, you really you really missed out on first yeah. place. And again, so I, you, I won, you won four hundred thousand back in two thousand seventeen. Yeah, yeah, okay. it's on Fanduel, so no one really noticed that. That's yeah, right. Part. Because yeah. people don't go back and click on the tournaments. They're like, oh, I did crummy. I'm not working. Yeah, um, exactly. And then, you know, I, I want some other stuff too. So that was sort of, um, and that's going to lead into this uh, long ramble about my career arc and how this has actually been a very uh, tenuous process. In 2016, I did very well. Um, and 2017 was way better than that. Like way better than very well. Um, I'm going to be vague about it, but that was, that's probably going to be my best year. It's okay. possible that this will be my best year. I mean, you don't really know until football season's over, but that's sure. very likely to be my best year. Um, 2018, you could call it the hubris year or the Icarian year. Um, but I, I started off doing so well in basketball. And in the FanDuel Live Final, which is at the Basketball Hall of Fame, um, which sounds cooler than I say it than the actual final was. Um, <laughs> but... Um, you know, uh, for like starting maybe a half hour into the final, I was in first, which back then was 300K, which is still like quite a big chunk of change. And I'm like, um, yeah, that's, it's, this is this is actually kind of worrisome because being in first early in basketball is kind of a problem. It's no late swap, so that's not an issue, but okay. it's basketball. Like people yeah. in the late games are going to score points. In baseball, you could actually hold first for like five hours. Yep. In basketball, that just doesn't really happen. Um, and people would just be like, oh, aren't you excited? And I'd be like, no, I, I don't know how this is going to go. Um, spoiler alert, I didn't win. Um, out of my two lineups, I actually lost a bit of money in that final. And then it all just sort of 
came crashing down after the all-star break. Like, did I make money that year? Yes. But it, to say it was worse is, is like a, a massive understatement. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't a good year. Um, 2019, really not that good of a year either. Um, I got third place in the FanDuel basketball final for 100K. Um, how much money did I make in that year? Less than 100K. So to put some things in perspective there. Um, but it made sense to stick with it because I'd done well before. Um, and, and then I started. People, that's still a really good year. I mean, to, to play DFS and make, you know, to make any kind of money is, is still a good year for most people. So even if it's under 100K, it pales in comparison to your best years. That's still, I mean, nothing. To yeah, but it's sort of the, um, there's a lot of extra stress um, that I'll get yeah. into more that yep. goes with this that you don't get in a regular job. Like DFS is not a regular job, but to me, it's definitely a real job. Like sure. in a regular job, the bad case outcome is like, um, you have a boss that yells at you a lot and then you get fired. Um, and if you get fired, then maybe you don't make any more money for the rest of the year. And that is by no means the worst case outcome in daily fantasy. Like this is true. Things look inevitable now. Um, but it's not, it, it was not. Um, but yeah, in late 2019, I started overall my process a lot because I wanted to, um, there are various things that people are talking about with ownership that sort of just bounced off me. I'm like, this is kind of stupid. I already have some variety in my lineups as is. Um, but I started to sort of take that into account in my process, cut out some lineups that have too high ownership. Um, and that didn't, that was sort of paying off. But the, the first thing that really started to go well for me, um, at least in terms of daily fantasy, was 2020, where I actually started to have like a really big NFL season again. Um, and then even basketball, it started to pick back up again. Um, so, so that was that was still a very good year. Um, but 2021, I'm, I'm going to give you the month by month spiel, and I, I know it's a little annoying. Um, at the end of January, I was losing money. At the end of February, I was losing money. At the end of March, I was losing money. At the end of April, I was losing quite a bit more money. And you'll notice that this is the end of the regular basketball season. Yep. And I had not had like that bad of a stretch of NBA before. Because um, the idea normally is supposed to be that I make money in something, usually NBA, and that kind of just pissed away in NFL, or I get it back more, but who knows. Um, sure. But those are four months of my life. Yeah. But I had this awesome baseball model that I'd been uh, tweaking and perfecting with cool, fancy programming knowledge going into the season. And so I had that to look forward to. And I'd actually won two high-stakes tournaments in baseball in the 2020 season. Um, so that that was also... Like, I was like, yes, awesome, I'm going to go for it. Um, so I was losing a lot of money at the end of April. And in May, losing even more money. June, losing even more money. July, losing even more money. August, that might have been close to break even. So they so had a big August. Uh, no. Oh, um, you're so was, break even for the month. I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah. So that's it. So that, and that's eight months of my life gone. And these are months where the vast majority of people out there who don't really understand this would say, what you did was worse than nothing. You could have been spending that time playing video games or drinking heavily, and that would still be a greater accomplishment. Um, but it's okay because football season's starting. Because, um, you know, and that's arguably that's my best sport. Yeah. Um, and at the end of September, I was still losing money, which was, you know, over 200K at that point, which based on the volume that I play is still a very big deal. If I played 50,000 every day, then losing, being down 200K at some point is just. 
that's just how life is. Right. It's but not... at the stakes and volume I play at, it's um, it was bad. Um, yes. Yeah. And then end of October, still losing money. And uh, you know, basketball started again. But this was the least enthusiastic I've ever been going into an NBA season. Yeah. Um, just because I had done so poorly, and like I know that things are getting tougher. Like, um, I mean, I'm, I'm hyping up awesomeo.com, but you know, you know, it is kind of part of the problem. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it gets harder, and it's not generally going to get easier. And although I thought my process was very good, like everything just was bad. And at a certain point, like. I feel like that's how a lot of people leave the industry is they lose this big pile of money and then they're like, this is stupid. I'm done. I don't know. Um, and then a couple days into November, I, I got like 180,000 or something, um, which wasn't, one it day. didn't actually, yeah, yeah, okay. it was, but that wasn't actually how I got the live final ticket, but it was enough that I'm like, okay, well, I'll take basketball seriously um, and, and like still go for it. Um, and I did build up to profitable by the end of the year. Um, and then I, I did have another good good win in this year. And this time I actually entered the qualifier. I didn't enter the qualifiers before because I, I'm i like, I don't need a ticket for next year. I need to make more than $0 this year, which right. is extraordinarily unlikely when you're losing more than $200,000. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I got the one ticket to the live final and I made it there and I won. Um, and that's why that would really have to be like my favorite win ever because that was me just making it back and making it through all this um all these problems um like but i want to make a, yeah. yeah and i want to make a point of talking about this because I, I feel like people just gloss over this because they're supposed to but you just end up in these death spirals sometimes and yeah my death spiral is exceptionally long but it's just like it it, it can be really tough I think, um, I think Alex said on the, I believe it was, he, he was a guest on the Emotional Bankroll podcast. He said that he was negative for the year, like into maybe November or at least like September, sometime in the fall. He said for, I believe yeah. last year, he was negative for the year up through that late. And then he had some big wins late. I think that's before he won the Millie. Um, so I was got out of it. But yeah, that happens for, for pros. You can go on very long and it's a lot of money involved. And yeah, it's, uh, it's brutal. <laughs> Yeah, and I thought that that was more, like, I've heard about various, you know, top 10 people, and this happens to them. I thought that was kind of a function of, like, max entering contests, mm -hmm. and then if you're 3% in high stakes, well, so you're just way overexposed on two um, people who just ruin your lineup, even when everything else goes well. Um, but no, you, you can still encounter these. Um, and, and again, that's one of the reasons why I think it'd be interesting to sort of hear from some of the people who gave up. Um, yeah, and decide to do other things like just what made them stop and did they manage to avoid just losing a large chunk of it back before the end yeah um but yeah you know I've, you know I, I i try not to do shows and stuff but i, I figured i wanted to sort of complain about that um because you know it, it's a weird thing in the context of oh this is my gloat show i won five hundred thousand dollars and life's awesome and yeah. that's true but there are so many i'm just aware of so many outcomes that you know I just don't make it this far. So, yeah. um, and there have been a so lot of great players who who have stopped playing, who have not kept going. So it's uh, it's it's nice when you do it. But yeah, it's that's a good uh, reality check to bring up some the fact that you know you you can go on big losing streaks. And I mean, I'm I'm down for 2022 pretty massively. Probably the most I've ever been down in a year so far right now. Uh, which I, I talk yeah. about that sometimes with uh, Jordan Cooper on our show. But yeah, it, it can happen for sure to pros. And yeah, we we usually the people that I have 
on here are people who are winning a lot right now. But yeah, it's a that's an interesting idea to bring on some of the OGs who ended up quitting, but uh, you know they they still have their their sharp people who have a lot to say. I'm sure. I yeah, appreciate and, and it's just you know, I mean, if someone if someone won a lot of money back in the day, like I would expect the default before people quit is that they just lost a lot of money, and I, I don't think there's any shame in that. I mean, and to me, yeah. it makes sense because. You have to tell between is it variance, is it you, and that's the perpetual question, and no one, no one ever really knows. Yeah, so. it's, hard, it's hard to figure that out for sure. Probably helps if you have like simulations that you can run to back test these things. I'm sure people, you can be a little bit more confident, but then there, there's obviously still a lot of uh, human element involved yeah, there. Yeah, you can so you still can't really get know. yourself into trouble doing that. Yeah, like you know, again, if I if I probably rated how well I expect my lineup should do. On average, like it's probably quite a bit better than the actual right. know, results I got, except for you know I guess the season. Um, but you know, it, it's sort of like anyone who puts in effort. Like if someone makes their own projections, they generally have a point. Like even if they're only right ten percent of the time, that's still some case where they're right, and then like a superior projection system is is wrong, and so that all sort of cuts into your actual returns. Right. Um, so uh, it's very easy to sort of overestimate how you're doing, even if you take into account projections and ownership and variance, or if you hate projections, you know, optimal percent or boom percent or top SPAC percent, all, all of those are, all those are fine, but it's just easy to get caught up in like, oh, this was easy, therefore it's going to be easy. And like, you're just, it's, it's all, there's always going to be another big slump. Like that's just how it's going to be. So yeah, that's the game. All right. Well, Matt, uh, it sounds like you're not too interested in doing any kind of content or would you be open to if people want to reach out to people like I want to hear more from this guy. I want to I want him to coach me or do, do you have any interest in uh, doing anything where you are, you know, facing and helping um, other people get better at DFS? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I have to feel like with coaching there, there would be two situations. One, where someone doesn't know all that much, and then they would be better off signing up for an Awesome Express subscription and then going to office hours. Um, and then two, if someone's already pretty good, um, I, I don't want like some sort of top 200 player coming to me for coaching. Um, that's I'm giving away more than what I'm getting out of that. Right. Um, so I, I, I'm pretty low there. Um, this is going to sound kind of wacky, but... Um, I, I kind of wonder um, if there's like a market out there for like DFS couples counseling or something. <laughs> It'd be kind of fun to do something like that, you know, yeah. Um, to be like, yeah, you know, if you're going to play basketball, you're better off playing it well three days a week rather than doing a crummy job seven days a week. You're trying to discreetly late swap and you're sniffing at others angry at you and all that stuff. So I feel like something's about partitioning your life. And so I think that could be pretty valuable. I like but, that. That's uh, an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's, that's more... That'd be more fun, and it's also not stressful for me because I have to sort of, you know, if I go on a show, I have to balance between being helpful versus like, you know, um, not giving edge. away my whole process. Sure. So, yeah. All right, that's fair. So, if people wanna wanna find you and, and wanna come to you for some DFS couples counseling, where where can they find you? Yeah, that, that's a good point because I've I've I obviously have the Twitter account, but then I don't think people want to send a public tweet and at me like, <laughs> hey, I need couples counseling, help me. So, um, yeah, no, I'm going to have to come up with some sort of coherent answer there. Um, I, I guess you could watch Twitter. I mean, can they DM you on, on your Twitter account? You're at that stunna on Twitter. Can people, uh, are your DMs open? 
Uh, people could. I thought you had to follow a person for that to work. Uh, depends on whether you have them. I, I think it's a setting that you can set it to oh. open for everybody, um, or you can set only people that I follow. Um, you know, it's a, it's all dependent on you. I think. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I done nothing with the settings really. I just okay. made the account so that no one, there was no imposter in my name selling lineups, and I still have a little disclaimer on there about that. There was actually an <laughs> at that stunner one. Uh, oh no! Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, were they selling was, DFS lineups? They were trying to sell these lineups, but apparently someone showed me one of them, and it was like a baseball lineup that had three hitters against the pitcher. So now <laughs> it kind of sounds like I was making a troll account to make people lose money. That's not what happened. Um, but yeah, that was just back, uh, you know, at the height of things where you know people make all these fake accounts, and I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to be associated with this, but I also want to be active on social media, so. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you can, can always DM me. Um, but yeah, if I don't say anything, then yeah, I probably just don't want to answer your question. Sorry. All right. So at that stunna on Twitter, he might answer, he might not. Uh, thanks again, Matt Naughton. It was a lot of fun having you on here for this exclusive interview. Good to get to know you a little bit. Uh, thanks for coming on to episode nine of High Stakes. Thanks again to Mike Lawrence for producing. And if you want to catch episode 10 of High Stakes, it'll be available next Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern on the Osmo YouTube channel or wherever podcasts live. Thanks for watching. Have a good weekend. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.